Well, today, the title of my sermon, The Mathematics of Grace or Salvation, looks like I'm going to give us all a math lesson. But it's not going to be quite like that. What I want to share today is how human logic or things that make sense to us as human beings Sometimes that logic is not wrong because logically we know that certain acts are wrong to do. And that's good, like murder or stealing. And those are the big things that we all are pretty much convinced that we will never venture into those big things. Now, I am working on a sermon now that I want to bring sometime soon, and that is talking about the little sins. Little sins. You've ever heard the song, It Only Takes a Spark to Get a Fire Burning? And I just want to, will want to study about how it is the, the tiniest little things that can lead to much, much greater things in our lives. We're concerned about the big things, but maybe we should be concerned about the little things as well. Human beings have a sense of fairness within our thinking. We generally contemplate what we believe is right and wrong. And a lot of times it's right, but the point I want to make is that the human sense of fairness is not always reliable when it comes to spiritual things. I've heard many Christians say after studying a certain portion of God's word, they might say something like, well, that's not fair. And make an argument, for instance, that that is not fair. And just adding up numbers, for instance, is not always the rule about what's good or bad. We can be glad and are glad for everyone who comes to church. We can care about those who cannot come and keep them in our prayers and reach out to them in some way. No church has enough people. We always want to be inviting and have more people. But on the other hand, the number of people that come to a church is not necessarily a good measurement of the strength of that church. We can have thousands of people coming to a church, and I could point out and even name a church in our country that has thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands, but I'm not confident at all in what that church is preaching and putting out. And so we know that a church is more than the number of people attending. It can be a very small church and still be a very vibrant church and spiritually strong. And that's what's important. Well, I'd like to share today from Scripture, Luke 15, 1 to 7, and if you're familiar with Luke 15 at all, it is the chapter of things lost. We have the parable of the lost sheep. That's what we're going to look at today. But 
on into the chapter from 8 verses 8 down to verse 10, we have the parable of the lost coin. And then the remainder of the chapter is the parable of the lost son, where we often talk about that as the prodigal son. But we're just going to look at verses 1 through 7 just now. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching him to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you? Now, now pay attention. This is a question he's asking. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field to go after the lost one till he finds it. Now, Jesus, in that question, is asking the person, does it make sense? What person among you would not go and search for the one that was lost, even though he has 99 others? Well, verse 5. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. In this parable, Jesus is trying to teach the worth of each individual. The worth of every one. Yes, the 99 are worth a lot. But when one is missing, he cares enough to do what it takes to go out and find it. Now, remember, this is a parable so Jesus tells us exactly what he wants us to know. He doesn't include in the parable a lot of details as to what the shepherd has to go through to find the lamb. I'm thinking he has to go out and work his way through a rough territory of some kind, kind of stooping down to go under the, the bushes or go up and down the hillsides to look for this lost sheep. Now, the, the Pharisees were willing to listen to what Jesus was saying very much of the time. As it says in verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, the people who needed him, the Pharisees were complaining, though, about their, him eating with sinners. Now, remember this. He talks about the tax collectors and the sinners. Some places it says publicans and, and sinners. Don't mistake it for republicans and sinners. It's publicans and sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 15 says, Jesus came into the world to save the sinners 
of whom I am chief. Paul said that about himself. Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said this, For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to reach the lost. Everyone that he could. The Pharisees seemingly were blind to Christ's mission to reach out to others, even complaining that he is eating with those whom they never would eat with. Pharisees had a strict rule. They would not sit down with Gentiles or others outside of their synagogue or temple to eat with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were enjoying their status. They wouldn't lower themselves to associate with people who were sinners. The Pharisees had earned their position. Now, I am concerned today about some Christians who act a little bit like the Pharisees. We enjoy our status in the church. It'd be easy for me to feel pretty confident about being a pastor in a church and just uh, feeling like I had accomplished something that I can stand here in front of everyone, even on an elevated stage. My goodness, I, sometimes I look at that and think, wow. But the Pharisees were proud of what they had accomplished. You remember an old TV commercial? I think it was about E.F. Hutton. E.F.F. F. Hutton said this in the commercial. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Now, some Christians have the idea that I am saved the old-fashioned way. I have earned it. I have this position. I've heard this. Well, I've been coming to this church for 35 years. Okay. We'll make you a certificate. Or maybe this. I am one of the largest contributors to that church for a long time. I've nearly had perfect attendance. And I think that's a great goal. Have perfect attendance. Any of us can be prideful because of what we've done. And get this sense of accomplishment even before the Lord. Well, Lord, you must accept me. You know what all I have done. And in the midst of all of this impressing that the Pharisees are doing, you know, they like to sit in the preferred places. They wear big, long robes, and the Bible talks about the large factories or sort of wide ribbons that they might put around. Sort of like when you, get gradu when you graduate from high school. Some of us get a little gold rope around our neck because we were a good student. Well, Jesus just thinks now it's time to show these Pharisees that he is going to associate with the riffraff. He doesn't mind who he eats with. 
He doesn't mind who he sits down with. These guys need a lesson, Jesus believes, in the value of one. The value of every single one out there that needs to know him. Sinners and publicans, they expect to be rejected. There is people in our community that likely expect the church to look down upon them. Maybe they don't expect us to reach out. There could be people around us close that stay back and don't come in the church door. They're afraid of what people would think if they came in. You know, coming into a church the first time, if you haven't been there for a long time, is a fearful thing to do. You ever visit a church somewhere when you're on a trip? We've did that before. I tell you, I get a little nervous going into a church if I'm on a trip that I don't know anybody there. I wonder what they're going to think of me when I walk in. They don't know me. We actually had a church in Virginia, who I won't name, that we visited while on a trip. And I tell you, when we stepped in the door, no one reached out to us in any way. No one shook our hands and said, welcome to church. No one did. We came in and sat through the service. And as I remember, I think it was a pretty, pretty good service. You know, when we left too, no one spoke to us at all. And I remember getting back in the car and, and, and asking Christy, do you believe that? Do you believe what just happened to us, that we went into a church and no one acknowledged that we were even there? I was pretty amazed at that. And I hope to goodness that never happens here. So I'm going to tell you right now, if we have a visitor and they don't get at least 10 greetings before they go out the door, uh, I'm going to let you know about it somehow. Don't ask me how. I'll call them up later and ask, did you get 10 greetings before you left? We've got to be a church that recognizes the value of one. And that's what Jesus is teaching in this parable. It begins with a question. What man among you? Is there anyone among you that doesn't know the value of one person? What man among you does not leave and go after it's, it's kind of a leading question. It's one that we would quickly say, well, of course I would do that. But he's recognizing that these Pharisees, these people who have earned a spot, they don't care about adding anybody else to their spot. You know, how incredibly valuable does Jesus think that every single person is? And I don't mean that you're not married. I mean every individual. How important. The Bible says that it is not his will that any should perish. There is not a lost person in the entire community that Jesus wants to let go of. He hasn't written them off. They are out there, yes. But he expects us to go after them just the way this shepherd would go after 
the lost sheep. Our dilemma as a church is to figure out how to do this. How can we reach out? Not in a condemning, Bible-thumping way that hammers them, but how do we reach out to them as an individual who is incredibly valuable to the church? You here, as a part of this church, bring a priceless value, priceless value, to the church. You bring something here that no one else brings. You bring your talent, your thoughts, the individual that you are. Jesus thinks that every one of us is important. Now, lost sheep are quite common in this area. So when he tells this story, he's talking to people who know exactly what he's talking about. They basically had open ranges. And they would graze their sheep out in the open. And you know, that, that's one of the reasons that Jesus told about the shepherd and the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice. I've heard that many shepherds could have their sheep intermingled with other sheep. And you might think, how in the world are they going to get their own sheep back? And I've heard that it only took the shepherd's voice to call his sheep to him. The other sheep wouldn't pay attention to his voice. He's not their shepherd. But they know the voice of their shepherd. Now, sheep are kind of hard to manage sometimes. They're curious. They're vulnerable. When I was a teenager, I had a flock of sheep. I probably had 20 couple. One time, the buck sheep that I had got his head caught in the gate. Now he turned his head sideways, pushed his head through the gate, straightened his head back up, couldn't get his head out. So there he is, stuck in the gate, trying to get his head out. So I got to help him out a little bit. So I go up to him, and I turn his head sideways. Of course, I push back toward him to try to push him out of the gate. Well, you know what he does? He pushes right back. So he's pushing back at me while I'm trying to push at him to get his head out of the gate. So that just kind of shows you how stubborn a sheep can be. A buck sheep. Well, you don't know anybody. Now, when a sheep is lost, they are lost to the shepherd. They have great value. Shepherd doesn't want to lose them. They're treated almost like pets. And I want to tell you that the lost are never outside of the mind of God. He never stops thinking about those that are lost. Jesus is implying the value. What man would not go after? What man would not leave? What person wouldn't go after someone who is lost? 
When the body of Christ comes together, every person is important. You bring value. Each person has great potential. Each person that is not saved is of incalculable value to the church. They're not here. We wish they were. We pray for them. When lost, they are lost to themselves. You ever been lost anywhere? I had to remember a time in Briar Branch that we were trying to go to a, a place, and I can't even remember the name of where we were trying to go. We went down to a little community that has a, an old caboose sitting there. I don't know why. They just have an old caboose sitting there. So I went by that caboose and on out the road, and in my mind, to get where we wanted to go, we had to take several left turns. So I took a left turn somewhere, and along that road, I thought we needed to take another left turn. Well, somewhere along the line, I must have made a third left turn because we rode back by that caboose again. And I said, look, there's the caboose we just went by. We had gone around in a circle and didn't even know it. And I guess we found our place Eventually. You know, it's difficult to help yourself when you're lost. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to their own way. We are lost. And I'm going to tell you when I'm lost, I don't want to ask anybody for directions. Because even if you do, the first thing they're going to tell you is, I'm not from around here. I've heard that so many times. The shepherd searched for the lost lamb. Others were in the herd, but he left to go. He focuses on the lost and goes into the wilderness. Galatians 6, 1 says thee, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now why? Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, whether you've never been saved or come to church at all, or whether you have come to church and somehow you've drifted away. And we've seen that too many times. The Bible says we need to restore them in the spirit of meekness. And he rejoices when he finds it. How does God feel about the lost that are found? I tell you, there will be... More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The shepherd invites others to rejoice. And as far as I can tell, this is the only thing that heaven rejoices about. Is a lost person who is found. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven. You know what? There's no rejoicing in heaven over just building a new building. Not rejoicing about that. That building will soon pass away. There's no rejoicing over a victory in some political battle. You know, we can lobby as Christians all we want. And I don't think we ought to remain silent on some of the issues that our nation is facing. But you know, it's not in the political battle that we win that there'll be finally rejoicing in heaven. Oh, they finally overturned that law. That may be good, but that's not the point. 
It's not some Supreme Court ruling that's finally overturned that heaven rejoices about. Any of these things may be good. But the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. What's that sound like? When the lamb is finally found and brought back. Well, back to the context of the parable. The Pharisees needed to know. Remember again. The value of one. Sometimes we get all caught up in numbers. Two preachers get together. It won't be five minutes until one asks the other. Well, how many people are coming to your church? Now, as long as he says about the same number as yours, you, you're all right. But I told the minister in Bribery Branch there, I said, I like you just fine, as long as your church don't get too much bigger than mine. Isn't that awful? Just to be oriented on numbers. It's more than numbers, folks. And I will be pleased if someday Oakdale has 500 people attending. Could happen. But you know, I would still be pleased if we have 30 attending and all 30 of those people are growing in the Lord. All 30 of those people are seriously serving God. Oh yes, I want more people to come and join us. But oh yes, I want to value every person that is here right now. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this parable, and in fact this whole chapter that we have in Luke chapter 15, is about finding what is lost. And in each case, there's great rejoicing when the lost has been found. Lord, we will rejoice greatly every time someone decides to follow you, accepts the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. And whether they do it right here at the church or somewhere else, we will rejoice if they will come and join the church right here and begin to grow more and more in the Lord. And Lord, we deeply love and care for every person that attends this church here. May we express and show that love to each other, not taking anyone for granted, but loving them with the love of Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.